Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind all right well you are listening to the stuff that's real podcast once again or if it's your first time, for the first time. And we are excited either way because we know you are going to be excited either way if it's your first time or not. As always, I'm joined by my lovely host, Mr. Kevin J. Tomlinson. That would be J. Kevin Tomlinson. Yeah. Sometimes. Do you ever get Tomlinson with an O? I get, I get Tomlinson. I get Tumbleson, uh, which is the origin of my uh, nickname in high school, which was Tumbleweed or tumble mm. uh and uh i also got kelvin a lot uh, mostly from my uh my good friend david's grandfather used to call me kelvin and then one day i told him look my name is like christmas there's no l mm. but um wow and you weren't even a father delivery it was here. just it's not even a dad joke <laughs> <laughs> i always That's got cool. uh i get thatcher a lot um, they're probably the main one. We have, you know, Margaret. We have a lot of Thatchers, which makes sense, right? But it, you know, when I say Thacker, and and people just write Thatcher, it's not like they're doing it because they misheard me. It's like they're correcting me. That's what I get a lot, right? That's the one that, that pisses me off, where people are like, "Oh yeah, no, I got it, I got it, I got it," and then they write Thatcher, and I'm like, "That's not what I said." Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's not what I said. I did anyway, we are not here to talk. No, Tom that's true. Yeah. But these things are not, these are this is stuff that's real. It just you may not be might cool. have it's not necessarily <laughs> cool. It's stuff that's and real you that you may didn't know or real. may not already have known about it. So No, that's we gotta keep that on our other show. Stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but it's also not very cool. Podcast. <laughs> Where we talk that's about the, things uh, like arithmetic and geometry. We should start a show. I, I, I'm gonna start a show. It'll be a sister show to this one, and we'll we'll call it completely uninteresting, and just see where it goes. I bet people would tune in. That would be pretty funny. That would be pretty. I funny. think people would tune trying in. to make, it, yeah, trying to make interesting things not interesting, or just finding things that are really boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want that show, go ahead and send us an email to hello at stuff that's real dot com. <laughs> completely uninteresting the podcast i think that would I, that's got legs man i may have to develop that once i'm once i'm in a stable place again once we've got a once i've got my studio again again i'll mm. uh i thought you meant like mentally stable place but no i'm never will, gonna it, i would never yeah. produce the show if that was the if that was the limitation that's, that's fair <laughs> speaking of the show speaking of the show do you want to you want to lead us off here today and sure tell us something real <clears throat> 
yes, Mr. Tomlinson. something real. Um, yes, something real. So uh, this is something I, I've actually had on my. Well, what did I call that? I have a Trello board where I keep a bunch of ideas for um, another show I was producing that has gone on hiatus. Um, but same sort of idea, where stuff I find in my research that would be that might make a good um, thriller novel, or or at least be a, a a good part of a thriller novel. I'm sorry, there is something in the air at the moment smoke or something and i'm choking as i speak i'm sorry asbestos is it asbestos (laughs) (laughs) could be all right so uh so this story is about a woman who uh when the nazis killed her she was she was a this woman lives in russia or lived in russia uh and when the nazis killed her husband she sold everything she owned and bought a tank so that she could specifically go and kill nazis uh, so her name is Maria. I'm going to try this one. Maria Octiabruskia. Octiabruskia. I have to learn how to pronounce that. That, uh, that is a mouthful. <laughs> I'm looking at it too, and I would have gone the same direction. I'm going to let you go I, ahead and 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 put <laughs> get a mouthful. I'm not even going to try it. If you get it wrong, I, I'm going to say, well, I didn't even attempt it, so I'm not. You know, right. I'm don't think we're gonna offend her because uh, <laughs> she actually died in 1944. So I think uh, I think we're well, safe. Case, but, Maria yeah. <laughs> So she was um, Ukrainian, and uh, you know during you know people don't quite realize this, but uh, during World War II, the uh, the Germans they actually were fighting a war on two fronts uh the the eastern front and western front and so uh, russia is on their eastern front and uh they had a they basically it's it's a whole other interesting story but they had a sort of we'll say a deal with um the spanish <clears throat> and that's where the uh the spanish blue division or as uh, Division Division Azure, I think, is what they called it. Um, that's where they came from. That's a whole other story for a whole other time uh, about a country that played both sides during the war. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, say, that sounds pretty interesting. Talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about. We'll that. Make that uh, so, uh, when her husband was killed by Nazis, she went out and uh, they wouldn't let her join. They wouldn't let her join up uh, because she's a woman. So. What she did was uh, sold everything she owned and used the money to not only buy a tank, but she trained herself to uh, to learn how to repair that tank in the field. And it's really interesting because she was she's sort of this really scrappy, tough as nails um, person. Uh, so basically, she was a volunteer soldier. She she went around uh, gunning down Nazis with this tank of hers. And uh, went through several missions, and, and several times the tank was hit and disabled, and she would immediately jump out of the tank in the middle of the battle and repair the tank with with gunfire going on around her and uh, you know bombs being dropped off nice. around her, and yes. uh, she would fix that tank and get back out there killing more Nazis. So that she's kind of a She's kind of a superhero, man. When they when they started writing comic books about World War II, you know, they were featuring guys like uh, Captain America or whatever, and they would have these female uh, superheroes. She would totally fit into that crowd. 
tank girl or something, man. She would totally be in. Yeah, she definitely but, has kind of a Wonder a Wonder Woman bent to her, you know? I could see, um, I don't know why they haven't made a movie about her yet, but I could definitely see that being uh, the next Marvel franchise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the stories that's in this, um, now I shared with you the Wikipedia article. I actually have some other articles uh, I should comb through real quick, but um, there was at one point uh, when they were, let's see, there was an attack on what was it's Nova Hey Cialo. Um, I'm, I'm venturing. Uh, Something dead in it. So when uh, she participated in that battle, <clears throat> man, I'm, I'm legitimately choking up here. Uh, she participated in that going to die on this episode. <laughs> I may very well. <laughs> keel over from not being able to breathe uh but a uh, an, a german artillery shell exploded and and took out the tank's tracks and so she had a crewman with her um she climbs out of the tank this is just one example but she climbed out of the tank and repaired the um the track while the crew member the other crew member was covering her from the gun turret uh, so she eventually fixed that track and then rejoined the battle. Um, she, and that happened more, more than one time. Like that was, was a recurring of, sort of event. Like she would just tank would get hit, get disabled. She'd climb out, she'd fix it. They'd be back on the, uh, back to crushing Nazi skulls. So, um, very impressive. I mean, uh, you know, stories yeah, like this. Yeah. They're kind of inspiring, and uh, as a thriller author, um, it's it's fodder for for a story. You know, I mean, it's fodder for some some sort of story. I mean, if nothing else, I could create a character inspired by this woman. You know, uh, exactly. But I, I I've been kicking around like, how would I include? And I've already I've already as as happens, I've already written several books that include references to Nazis and World War Two and. Uh, one of the books I, I wrote called The Spanish Papers actually goes into a lot of detail about that that whole um, um, blue division thing from the Spanish. Um, so I almost worked this story in there, but decided I wanted to keep it out and do something special with it. <laughs> yeah, and I so, think it's not as common to have um, you know Soviet um, Soviet you know battles and, and plots um, in. You know, when we're talking about Nazis in World War II, a lot of times it's America, um, maybe the British, maybe, you know, obviously Germany. Um, we don't get to see a lot of Soviet action as, as often, you know. And so this, yeah. it, it's great. It kind of fits. It kind of fits that whole. Yeah, I think it that could be an easy um, flashback scene, you know, or two. Yeah. Where you've got running around and, and you know, being a badass. Um, but uh, so if I'm I, I think she died in not in battle, she, right? She talked to talk about she died in, in battle. Yeah, she did die in battle. I, I, I don't have a lot of specifics on how she died, uh, but I do have it says here she died a couple. She was in a coma for a couple months, actually. So she got yeah. um, hit in the head while she was repairing a tank. Right, right. Um, in uh, I don't know where it was. The it was but it was during the Leningrad uh, Novgorod offensive offensive. Um, yeah. and that was in a, a night, a night attack on September, or, wow. January 17th, 1944. Yeah. Um, did some awesome badass stuff in that battle, destroyed resistance and trenches, machine gun nests, tank crew also destroyed yeah. a German self-propelled gun. I mean, she's like she one of the tank effective. team, you know? Yeah. 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 And she so knows what she's I doing. Do That's have, pretty awesome. <laughs> I have the letter or a piece of the letter that she wrote to Stalin, um, 
asking if she could participate. And uh, it's kind of interesting. It kind of tells the story. Uh, but she says, my husband was killed in action defending the motherland. I want revenge on the fascist dogs for his death and for the death of Soviet people tortured by the fascist barbarians. For this purpose, I've deposited all my personal savings, 50,000 rubles, to the National Bank in order to build a tank. I kindly asked to name the tank Fighting Girlfriend <laughs> and to send me to the front line as a dr driver of said tank. <laughs> wow. Do we know what Stalin's response was? Did he ever get the letter? Uh, let's see. I think I saw that somewhere, but no, I don't. I don't. I, I'm sure he got the letter. I mean, it survived all this time. So I'm guessing it was in an archive. You know, it's the kind of thing you wouldn't necessarily want to lose uh, after after the war is won. But uh, yeah. I've had my baptism by fire. I beat the bastards. Sometimes I'm so angry I can't even breathe. That was a, a letter she wrote to her wow. sister describing uh, her time in the war. So um, she sounds like an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah she's tough this is the kind of uh the what i was reading from actually kind of sums it all up there's a there's a website called rejected princesses and it's sort yeah, of like that. disney princesses that never would have been uh kind of thing and so she is the tank driving widow is is the nickname they gave her uh Ooh, so yeah pretty pretty impressive so anyway, Pretty that's my story. Stuff. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I remember. I, I think you might have showed me this, and I, I read a little bit about it. Maybe, maybe just the Wikipedia article. But yeah, man, she is um, stuff of legend for sure. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that in in Russia, in the motherland, she's probably a little bit better known than she is here in the states. I would hope so. Um, but I'd like but to I think it's that a crime out. that she's not well known out here. You know. Yeah, I, I would like yeah. to. I shared, by the way, in our little chat here, the uh, the I saw that yeah, link rejected to the princesses. rejected princesses. Uh, you'll probably find that interesting. But I would like to know. I'd like to know if there if there's anyone here listening who happens to ha uh, be from Russia or be in Russia or know some Russian history. I would love to hear um, how people think of her if they think of her at all, uh, because it's a very interesting story. From a from a Westerner standpoint, from uh, well, I mean, yes, they're Westerners too. But I guess from a uh, American <laughs> standpoint, she's she's a a very American sounding girl. Frankly, uh, she sounds like she could be yeah. from Texas. Like you, you know, you pissed off the wrong. Like she'd be one of those mamas that took her earrings off. You know, like once mm -hmm. the earrings came mm -hmm. off, you're in trouble. You know. Yep. So. She reminds me of the uh, I think it's a wartime poster with the the the, the girl, the strong arm girl. Um yeah. what's that called yeah. that you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that I know kind of Americana, about. you know, image. Uh, yeah. And uh, rivet something I can I can't yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like it that. It gets That's reused right. a lot. I see it a lot now, but yeah, yeah. exactly. That's why I wasn't sure exactly where it came from. I'm pretty sure it was around that time, but yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Um great. Well, um, I have something to talk about, something big, something pretty big. Actually, a lot of big things. Uh, these are big heads. And these are okay. big stone heads. And uh, these stone heads live on an island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And it is not the island that I'm on right now, actually. This is a different island. This is the island of Rapa Nui. I don't think that R is rolled, but what I just did because I'm awesome. 
Um, it's a Chilean island, so it belongs to Chile, um, and it's in right now anyway, and it's in the Southern Pacific. Um, but it's yeah, I mean it's pretty far out there. If you can, you know get a map open, you can see it's about as far away from anything as as Hawaii would be, I guess. Um, but this civilization um, that that existed and does not exist anymore um, in Polynesian is called Rapa Nui, but in in English, what we call it is Easter Island. So I know we've all heard of that. Um, and we've probably all seen pictures of these these big dudes um, hanging out. Um, I don't know if they're dudes or dudettes, actually, but they're just these stone heads um, dotting the countryside yeah. on this singular island out in the Pacific. Um, and the the um, the heads are called uh, Moai or Moai. There's actually an apostrophe. It's a letter in that Polynesian language, um, actually. So it's like a Moai. You kind of stop in the middle. And um, these Moai statue are... These like ridiculously massive, like like huge, bigger than humans. Um, so obviously very very heavy. Um, and there's like 500 of them, and they just are sitting on this island all around it. And in in a few places they are they're lined up in a row. Um, in in a couple places they're just sort of dotting the countryside. But what's cool about these? Well, there are a lot of things that are cool about these. Um, most of them are facing out, like they're facing the water. They're facing the ocean. As if yeah. to protect the island or something, right? And, and you know, they're not. And these guys built these things and um, and set them up facing a direction they would probably never see them from. You know, like they're 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 looking at the backs of their heads most of the time as they go about their daily life. Right. Um, just this whole thing is is really cool to me. I I studied these a little bit uh, before I wrote my or during the writing of my first novel, which at the time was called The Golden Crystal. And, and there's a, a major climactic scene that takes place on Easter Island and Spoiler alert! Inside Easter Island, um, <laughs> which, which may not may not exist, <laughs> but uh, I use the heads as as part of the lore. You know, part of the um, fictionalized. It's it's real, but I used I, I made up some things, right? Because we just don't know really what they're for or what they were intended for. Right. Um, you know, obviously, I, 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 there's speculation that they're religious figures, that they're spiritual, you know, protectors. Um, obviously I don't think they, they offer actual defense, you know, they're not you know, like hidden trebuchets or anything or like laser eyes. We don't think, but it could be, um, <laughs> we, we think it's just, it's part of this, this really interesting, mysterious, um, civilization, uh, the Easter Island people or the, you know, the people of Rapa Nui. Um, yeah. and the reason, one of the reasons that, that this whole thing is, is just fascinating is, uh, that these, these guys that live there. Um, and I don't, I, I can find the dates, but I don't know the actual dates, but they, they basically die off. They're just gone. Um, and most of it is, I think, because that it just, this small island couldn't support a growing population like that. Right. Um, and so some of them, some of them left and, and went to other islands, but the vast majority of these peoples just, um, died, you know, just died out. They just couldn't survive. Um, I think it was Captain James Cook, I think think the guy who discovered Hawaii, at least to the Westerners, um, who found Easter Island and he found it on Easter Sunday. I think that's the the reason it's called Easter Island. Um, because you know what we like to do is find things and then, hey, you got a name for it? Cool. We're gonna name it. It's Easter Sunday yeah. over here, so we're gonna call it Easter Island, right? Um <laughs> but but they have their own name it's called Rapa Nui and they have their own language, this written language called Rongo Rongo, which is um indecipherable. We we have no idea what is what these, this language says. We have no idea what these squiggles are. They're hieroglyphs um, on a few, I mean, very few remaining fragments of, of stone and, and wood 
and some of these heads themselves have some of the, these glyphs on there and they all match up meaning like it's all part of the same language that we've come to know as rongo rongo um but we we don't know what it says there's nobody alive that can interpret and decipher these these uh glyphs um the other thing that's fascinating is there is speculation from linguists that this rongo rongo language was one of the very few independently created languages like it was not based on something else some pre-existing language right and so oh, like i think wow. english you know is a germanic language right which comes from proto-indo-european language tree or if i remember my linguistics correctly um it, it's all based on something obviously there was a there was a first uh, but you can imagine how few firsts there will be but this civilization was so isolated they're yeah. not you know from bora bora or from hawaii or from tahiti or from australia they're just they obviously came from somewhere but they did not bring a language with them they developed a language while they were here on easter island and the only place in the world that exists and has existed since um it's just crazy to me that we don't know we don't have no idea what any of this stuff says <laughs> you know we've uh, never yeah. found the uh the rosetta stone if you will for for this language yeah wow that's uh i did not know that about the language actually that's yeah, a lot of potential yeah. for a story right there. Isn't that, and that's why, that's exactly why I use it in, in the Golden Crystal, now called the Atlantis Stone, but same story, same book. I, I you know, I needed it to say something, um, obviously, you know, for my fiction. And I was like, well, perfect. Nobody knows what it says. So, <laughs> so I can just say, this is what it means. And there's uh, Cole, one character who can, who can read it in the book. And, um, you know, he's like, oh, well, this one says we're all going to die. So we should probably leave, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Lots of um, lots of potential there with uh, undeciphered languages and giant heads. Yeah. And it's not just heads like they found. I mean, um, now they've actually excavated a lot of these down, you know, from below the, the these soil. These typical, yeah, a lot of them, yeah. what you see is about half of what's there. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not quite iceberg stuff. You know, it's not 10% above the surface and there's this giant massive body beneath, but but, and it makes sense that, you know, in order for these to stand up for that long, they would have to be pretty deep, you know, anchored in pretty well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of them that you see on land. There's some that are on like a, a another like stone platform. It looks almost like ceremonial. Um, but, but the ones that you see just like dotting the countryside, they excavated a few and they're like, oh yeah, these are like twice as tall as they are. Um, there's half of it's under the surface, you know, Yeah. either from erosion or they dug them in that way. But um, all of them, I guess it says 90, I read something that says like 90 or 95% of them, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, it probably just means all of them uh, came from one single volcanic crater on the island. I think the southern part of the island. Yeah. Um, it just was carved into the stone inside the crater and then lifted and brought to where it was going to live for the rest of, of time. <clears throat> um, which in and of itself is this incredible feat. It's up there with building the pyramids, you know, which we right. still have no idea. For the most part, how they how they did that. Yeah, that's that, and it's it's one of those things. Like it's a feat of engineering that's actually difficult for us to pull off today. Um, yeah, we're, we're now machines, at a point where we yeah. can, yeah, where we have machines that could potentially do that sort of thing. But you know, we didn't until. I mean, that's a relatively new development in technology is to have machines that can lift and move, transport that kind of weight. Uh, and the, the, both the size and weight of those stones. So uh, we have no idea yeah, how I mean, ancient cultures were doing that. They're, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, we've got all kinds of little, like, you know, experiments going to the, the pyramids anyway. You know, we've studied, like, okay, well, if we 
if we wet sand and, and slide it along like we in logs, we can, we can do it kind of, but it, it takes like 10 of those innovations to be able to, to put something like that in place to where it's going to live on a pyramid yeah. wall, or in this case, a, a head in the middle of a quarry or a middle of an island from a quarry, you know? So it's just, it's just mind boggling that, you know, <laughs> no wonder they ate through all their resources. These guys must've been hungry for protein at the end of the day, you know, lifting these giant heads right around their island. Um, and you look at the size of the island, man. It's like, it's pretty tiny. I mean, there's not, this thing was never going to support a huge civilization. So the fact right. that they got 500 of these heads, even in a hundred year, 200 year span, or however yeah. long they were there, you know, um, is so, incredible. One of the things that's interesting to me, um, I'm always the, the, I'm always interested in sort of the comparative mythologies and the cross, um, the yes. similarities yeah. in different cultures and histories and, um, so in the um, Aztec culture, there's there's the Olmec heads, which are mm -hmm. giant stone yeah, heads yeah. that a lot of people feel um, have like African features, uh, broad noses and large lips and things like that. Yes, that, yeah, I've seen that, that. were mm -hmm. not features that you saw um, in that that Aztec culture. Um, no, certainly not so, at that time. No, because there was there would have been no intermixing, you know, uh, culturally, <clears throat> racially, whatever, you know. Right. Uh, there's, I guess, yeah. There are some of those Olmec um, heads that actually are, are somewhat resemble the Easter Island heads. So it's kind of, you know, there's a big question mark here. They're typically more detailed, though. And I believe that they're younger. I, I believe that they came along you know, much later uh, in the uh, sort of existence of humanity. Um, so just but the idea there is just it's just sort of interesting that there's these connected in some way in some like uh subtle way there's this connection between these two cultures that should have nothing at all to do with each other but there's a whole lot of speculation about um polynesians uh basically at certain points getting to central and south america um, yep, I've, you know. I've heard it's like, you know, the main main route that that I say we collectively and of course this excludes you and I, Kevin, because we don't believe this. But <laughs> the collective we thinks that, you know, the um, the isthmus between uh, plateau, you know, between Russia and, and Alaska was frozen over. Right. And that's how humans got from Siberia to Canada, effectively. Yeah. Um, and then worked their way down. And that was how the entire Americas <laughs> were populated. Um, and that's it's just like patently false now. We, we know that that's um, that, that, that well, that may be true. Like, that's how some of them got there. We I know think that, that's how some. Yeah. Well, some, they some did find there, right? but, fairly recently. They found um, uh, strands of what would be considered Native American DNA in Russia uh, from, you know, roughly like 12 to 13,000 years back, I believe. So. You know, yeah, there's so definitely there's both ways. some like kind this, of cross, right? Yeah, right. Yep, there was a cross, but you know, and, and what you're getting at is is this idea that the Polynesians may have made their way, and most likely, it seems like made their way over to South America, um, right, or early on before anybody knew or anyone were, was there. You had, yeah, they were a seafaring culture, um, and seafaring in a in a way that is fairly unique, uh, other than say the Phoenicians. Uh, they, you know, they used small boats. The Phoenicians and the uh, Scandinavians, the Vikings, basically, um, had just oddly um, 
and disparately all mastered this sort of craft and art of uh, creating seagoing mm -hmm. vessels that were very small. Uh, so they didn't need a lot of resources. Like they didn't need vast forests uh, to, uh, to be able to build large sea-going vessels. They built small craft that maybe just by luck, if nothing else, uh, could make it you know, across vast stretches of the, the ocean. And particularly right. the Atlantic Ocean in particular, uh, that's pretty impressive because if it's just that's a death zone basically between you know Europe and, and America. The part of it for sure, yeah, with, yeah. with I icebergs and things like that running around and, and giant house sized sharks and things like, <laughs> things like that. Exactly. Of course, things the, the Pacific has its own brand of giant, you know, like great whites and things like that, but right, uh, crossing right. the Pacific. By you know, it's by no means an easy feat. Uh, no matter what your level of technology is, but you know, I mean, I've I've, I've done it a bunch of times. Yeah, <clears throat> through I just I use an airplane yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's far easier for me. But <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to cross the ocean. Um, no, no. But anyway, um, yes, that's. That's the uh, that's the Easter Island peoples. Um, specifically, we cool. you know talking about the the, the heads and um, speculation on what they could be. But you know the the fascinating part of that um, that topic is everything <laughs> to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the people, it's the language, it's the heads. We don't even get into the Birdman people, the the tribe that yeah, these are the guys that, that would cliff dive. You know, like two hundred feet down, it's like a cult um, yeah. that probably picked off some of their own people and i mean all kinds of speculation that we just have no idea we just know there was some weird stuff going on um for whatever reason you know it's very unlike any of the polynesian any of the other polynesian tribes um and and populations in some ways um just yeah. very isolated came up with their own stuff so we'll link to some yep. things in the show notes there um we're gonna wrap this one up with uh with with those fun topics today with of course we hope you research more and, and look more into it um one of the things i wanted to mention you know as we roll out is you know if hey if you're listening and you're an author you want to start writing thrillers or you um want or you do write thrillers or mysteries or fantasy anything um and you're just um using this podcast for ideas you are in the right place that is exactly what um what you know we're, we're one of the things i mean obviously we want to be interesting to anyone who listens but we are authors, you know, we are full-time fiction thriller writers. And so we want to inspire, intrigue, um, entice with all these topics. Um, we're obviously going to go off on tangents. That's the whole point of fiction. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, send us, send us a note, drop us a line, tell us what to research next or tell us what um, you've found that is really interesting. And, and maybe we'll get you on the show. Maybe we'll have you up there and, and you can tell us what you think is real. That's also cool. Um, that we may not have known was real. Um, so with that, I mean, Kevin, you got anything you want to close us out with before we uh, hit the button? No, I'm good. We're, we're good show. Good show. Indeed. Um, yeah. So that, and if you want to reach out to us, that's just hello at stuff. That's real.com. There's no apostrophes in email addresses folks. So get it right. Stuff. That's real.com. <laughs> and you will go directly into my brain, into my inbox, in my head. Um, if you, but we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're thinking and what you think of the show. Of course. Um, aside from that, we will talk to you next week. Take care and goodbye. Stuff that's real.
Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.